All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to talk about a hot mess, uh, as Matt just heard me say just before I hit record. This is episode 187 of Mars on Life. I'm, of course, one of your co-hosts, Ryan Mancini. I have Matt Fernandez with me. Matt, how you doing? Um, Keeping the existential dread at bay, but just barely. So, you know, same old, same old. It's how we millennials do. I've been thinking about some kind of recommended reading for you, and I know you've already got, like, a mountain of other things to read, but I'm trying to... I've been trying to think of something worthwhile that even I've been tempted with trying to read to kind of comprehend and grasp upon the existential nightmare with which we all inherit and live through, and Matt's walking away to show me something. Uh... It looks like a stack of comic books and graphic novels. I didn't hear anything you said because I took my headphones off to walk across the room. Okay. This was my reading over the weekend. Instead of reading all the other things on my list, I picked up a copy of Jeff Smith's all-in-one edition of Bone because I never finished reading it as a kid. Um, I think I got up to volume four, which or I think wherever Rockjaw is, I think I stopped right after Rockjaw. Um what, what number is that? No, that's book five. Book five is Rockjaw. I was close. But yeah, no, I had a, a, a like $30 of credit on my book club from Brave New World. And so I just paid 50 more dollars and I picked up that. So oh. instead of reading all the other things I need to, <laughs> I added another one on top of the to be read pile because that's what you do when you like books. Mm-hmm. You buy more books and don't read the books that you already have. Book reading and book collecting are two entirely different hobbies. It's true. It's funny. I'm on the my last bit of reading, of, of new reading, and yet I'm already thinking about something to kind of cleanse the palate and get me back into more political and in some ways more philosophical kinds of readings. And I've been toying with the works of Mark Fisher, who's a, he was a, um, educator and i know he was famous for writing capitalist realism similarly i've been looking at slavoj zizek who's a slovenian philosopher that i've impersonated on this show once before when sebastian and i started an episode doing our best jordan peterson and slavoj zizek impressions where i said i won't repeat what i said then but if you want to understand that why you ever might hear me do this kind of voice? I'm slowly losing oxygen as I do this. Oh, jeez. Say it again in English. Well, I am speaking in as best English you know that I could easily speak. Oh, God. So there's that, and then whatever else might float my boat. We shall see. But anywho... Funny thing, I was looking something up, and it might have been just because it's a sponsored Google result, but I typed in the name of the very subject we're going to talk about, and conveniently and coincidentally and obviously enough, because it's all part of the same franchise, uh, I typed and searched Exorcist 2, and the first result I got was a Exorcist Believer uh, listing for Showcase Cinemas, which I... Assume is out here. Exorcist 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> it was horrible. Utterly horrible. First things first, before we talk about this fever dream, petty excuse excuse for a movie, Um, I, I know that you had mentioned the new film not too long ago. Have you had any interest in seeing it at all? Or any curiosity to check it out? I was. I'm planning on seeing it this weekend. Uh, with okay. my buddy Terrence, because we, we do movie watching because no one else out here wants to go to movies with me. So, alas, I am forced, not forced, but I, I my, my options for movie watching partners are limited to me going alone or me going with Terrence. So, that's what happens. Um, or my brother occasionally, but he doesn't do horror. So, mm. um, yeah, but I was planning on seeing it just because like I don't like possession stuff like demonic possession stuff like ghost stuff like actually does kind of freak me out a lot like mm. i can do other types of horror but like as soon as you throw in like 
possessions and shit, it's like, oh fuck, no, I'm out of there. No, let's not, let's not screw with this. You see the Ouija board, you walk away from the room. You don't touch the Ouija board. You leave the house. You burn the house to the ground. My uh, in in junior year of college, our roommate kept a Ouija board in our room because they used it for weird shit in their quote unquote academic fraternity whatever they were um they i doubt they were anything really academic he the, from the stories he's told me it was just an excuse for all weirdos to join together and be weird with ouija board but yeah he kept it in our room for a year i'm like josh josh why would you do that you've just damned our immortal souls he's like i never used it in the room and he's like but still it was there it was slowly sapping all the good energy out of the room which is why I had probably felt really, I don't know. No, junior year was fine. Never mind. It, there was no bad juju, but still, mm-hmm. I just wanted an excuse to rail against the Ouija board. But yeah, so um, I did have an interest in watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember watching the first Exorcist, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, it's the scariest movie ever." And I guess maybe for the time, if you hadn't seen anything like that, it, it is very much a movie of its era. I watched it, and I'm like, I was actually okay. Is this going to be, because again, possession, ghosts, Catholic horror. I was prepared to be um, voice cracked and amazed, (laughs) but uh, I was, I was neither when I watched, I kind of finished it and was like, huh, okay. Mm -hmm. So life was pretty tame back in the day, I suppose. And then watching this new one, uh, not the new one, but the sequel, Exorcist 2, The Heretic, directed by John Boorman, to which I say, what a bore, man. <laughs> I've been saving that joke for days. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I have to 100% agree with you on sort of the uh, the fear factor of The Exorcist, the, the very first film, because I know, I still know film critics today that they must have seen it when, well, eh, they, they might not have been alive yet, but they still will call it the scariest movie ever made. And I know that was like, that was the selling point with that very first film. It's, it doesn't hold up. If we lived in more of a vacuum and we hadn't seen more harebrained stuff in other films since, I guess, I think it was 1973, maybe it would still hold up. But because we've seen so much zany Looney Tunes stuff across just film in general forget just horror then i don't know maybe it still would be considered scary but honestly like you know i i mean i agree i i will go so far as to call it a classic it's a classic but it it depending on your definition of the word classic mm. gone with the wind is a classic birth of a nation is a classic yeah yeah it just classic doesn't mean good or doesn't mean it holds up it just means that it it's a storied film it's got history it's part of the culture and it's it's significant because of whatever reason that it is significant it doesn't mean it's good like right the room is a classic it is a cult classic and it is also a classic but it's not a good film mm-hmm. a lot of the movies that we do look back on from the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s we're looking back on them in a new light because so much time has passed and obviously it's going to be potentially that much harder as time goes on where we're like, what are the new classics? You know what in an age of overabundance, which is a discussion at the very heart of this podcast dating to episode one, what follows up upon whatever else. And, you know, obviously you're right. It's, it's a classic by every stretch of the imagination, but I, I guess if anything, it's just that, there's a style to that first film that they certainly don't follow in this one. And based on what I've seen in the trailers of the new film, Believer, they also don't follow, which is the idea that uh, William Friedkin, the director, essentially used a very documentary-style format to make that first movie. And I think that's part of the reason why it works is because it looks so real and point blank and bland but and so matter of fact especially when you see all those scenes where reagan's being tested on and it's tests that are believable it's test no pun intended it's all the testing she goes through in that first film is so clinical and surgical to a point where you start to feel ill 
which completely goes out the window in the new film where the testing is literally one step away from just doing the Vulcan mind meld where people are just putting their hands up to other people's heads. That makes saying, no fucking sense. Like our minds. Th th that's the, the same. Whole, that's the whole conceit of this, of the second film is that they're revisiting somehow like literally people who've never, who weren't even in the room at the time are able to see exactly what happened because they mind melded with Reagan. Also like, thank you, Ronnie for ruining the name Reagan, which it's a traditional Irish name meaning yeah. little King for both girls and boys. But now whenever you hear it, you just can't help but wonder your parents, um, they must've hated the gays back in the day kind of a thing. Or, um, yeah. Trickle down economics doesn't work. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> um, where was I going? Oh, the mind melt. Yeah, no, it's so stupid. Like when I got to that scene, I texted Ryan with a screenshot. It's like, what the fuck am I watching? What is this nonsense? This is really what you're gonna base your your whole movie around. And like from there on out, it doesn't make any more sense. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's also really weird because it like fetishizes Africa and like otherizes Africa really hard. Yeah. Um there's nothing scary about it. The worst thing is like she opens the door and it's like Demon Reagan just sitting there. Uh, it's like, oh, cute little jump scare. Is that it? And that's that's literally it. All, like and the house explodes or whatever. Oh. And there's a huge storm. And then yeah. nobody notices until after they walk away. It's like it's not it's not even a movie. It's just a half-baked attempt to get more money. There is no artistry behind this. It's it's very clearly a movie made by committee. There's no horror. There is no sense. There is no artistry. Props to the people like below the line who made this movie work, like all the set designers, all the all the people who like work in the industry. I'm not giving you any shade. You were just doing your job and trying to put food on the table. But the rest of y'all, you so-called creatives, how do you have a job in the industry and I don't? How is that possible? It's just, it's not... And they put money into this. They paid money to have this made. And I'm just like, give me some of that. And I can make a good movie with a good story and people who like know what they're doing and aren't just saying, hey, the first one made money. You know, it'd be funny if we made a second one and it made money, but no sense. <laughs> yeah. And like I watch this movie during the daytime, not because I'm scared, because I do watch horror movies all the time, especially I prefer at night, but also mm -hmm. I just had a lot to do. What was it Sunday I watched it? Mm -hmm. Saturday or Sunday. It was during the daytime. I had other things to do. It's like, okay, I'll knock this out. Then I'll watch Skin and Marink at night. Tried watching Skin and Marink. I kept falling asleep because it was like two in the morning. So that was my bad. Um, but like I watched it during the daytime so I could like stay awake ostensibly. And I don't know whether it was just this bad or it's because I was laying down. But I fell asleep like five times. I had to keep rewinding this movie. Mm -hmm. That's what happened to me the first time I watched it, which was like maybe two one year two years ago i don't even remember um and then we've got nurse ratchet in there just like fuck this i'm gonna go work in a mental institution now well i think she got the role in this because of nurse ratchet did she yeah I, i'm pretty sure oh, never mind i'm temporally confused uh, it, it, that's fine i i'm pretty sure uh one floor of the cuckoo's nest came before and that's why louise fletcher got the role yeah yeah um, that came out in 75, this came out in 77. Speaking of uh, actors and actresses of that era and of 1977, you've also got the other possessed person in the room, one Kokumo, played by James Earl Jones, uh, in a very... Oh my god, I forgot he was in this. The first time I ever saw clips of Exorcist 2, I, I never put two and two together when I saw... That part where he's spitting out whatever it is, a tomato... Uh, an apple, cherry, whatever the hell it's... Uh, pomegranate, whatever it's supposed to be. It never dawned on me that that was supposed to be James Earl Jones until I looked into it and actually saw, like, actually looked into the movie on, you know, of all places, Wikipedia. And I was like, wait, James Earl Jones is in this. Oh, wow, okay. I don't uh, even know what role he played in it. Like, I don't, I don't understand the point of his character. Also, like, what the fuck is up with the locusts and the rubbing of the wings? On the wings, the rubbing of the wings, the wings, yeah. the wings, the wings, rubbing the locust and the wings. I didn't understand any of that. 
again, I was asleep for most of this movie, but like, it's just, I don't get it. I was understanding it as like, oh, is this like a subtle biblical reference about oh, like yeah, it's plagues of locusts plagues. and whatever? And the fact that there is kind of a soundtrack to the movie, but it only comes in and there's like one theme. Not to mention Ennio Morricone does the soundtrack, which is just, you want to talk about a waste of talent? We didn't hear tubular bells once, did we? No. There's no tubular bells at all. That's um, a shame. That's, that's the one thing that I would have like, this is kind of redeeming, but no, it's not. <laughs> you don't even get that. Based on some reviews that I've seen, it sounds like this new film kind of gives the game away in the trailers. But the, the like one kind of nitpicky thing that I've heard is that like you hear kind of a remixed version of Tubular Bells, but you don't hear like the classic song from the first film. And I will say that something that the third film I thought did right in how it incorporate because you know this movie and at some point we'll give kind of a brief synopsis so that listeners can fully under you're gonna understand. have to do that because i don't know what i watched i was so interested in seeing this and within probably 10 minutes i was so disinterested and the only thing that kept me going was the fact that i was sitting upright and that i was awake and i had dishes to clean those are the only things that kept me like... going at the very end, my man goes from I need to save this girl to I want to f this girl to oh, I'm going to like save the real version and not the demon version of her. And it's like, what what was the point of like Reagan even? It's like they're saying, oh, she's still got the evil spirit in her, but she doesn't. Yeah. Like, like what is it? She's like a force for good the entire time, but she's got an evil spirit inside of her and she's using the spirit powers of the evil thing inside of her to, to help the father get rid of the spirit and somehow like he can like physically tear the heart out of a, out of a, a demon. Oh, that, that, that scene was just, that he was just trying to fuck like the, the scene with the before. hands and the heart doing this little thing. Was she just, they were just grabbing titty. Like I, I just, I know they were just, they were just reaching out to nurse ratchet and I, I oh. but they just now, wanted to grab some titty. What the third, what the third movie at least did with tubular tubular bells that I think, and I, you know I know I don't more like boobular bells. <laughs> I know, I know you haven't seen the third movie, but the trick with this series early on was okay, we're going to capitalize on the first movie. Uh, remember this? Remember Father Marin? Remember Reagan? The and then this movie shat the bed so much that Warner Brothers sold the rights away, and I think it was Morgan Creek Productions. They were the uh, production company behind the third film. And they were able to get William Peter Blatty, who wrote the novel Legion, which is meant to be the Exorcist sequel, because he wrote the original Exorcist book. He wrote the screenplay for the first film. Neither he nor William Friedkin came back for the second film. Blatty then comes around and says, all right, I'm going to adapt my book Legion into a film, and I'm going to direct it. And the studio, because uh, Morgan Creek had the rights to The Exorcist, said, well, this is all fine and dandy, but this movie is going to sell a lot better if you call it Exorcist 3. And he was like, fine, we'll call it Exorcist, uh, The Exorcist 3 colon Legion, See, after that second movie, I think I would have stayed away from it completely. Like, it's like, oh, the second one was a shit show. I'm not. Why would you brand it with a failed? I think I Blatty was I trying the... to redeem the franchise and try and I, I resurrect no, yeah. his, you know, but as an audience member, as one of the paying public, you've disappointed me once. I will not let you disappoint me again. <laughs> I will wait for it to come on VHS. Go to Blockbuster and, and see if they have a. <sighs> One of those cases wow. left. Be kind, rewind. <laughs> so I've been giggling just because. You oh, know, I the... saw that today. Yeah. Golf is hard enough. Imagine playing all the giant sphere <laughs> trolls you. He's just watching the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly the third movie suffered uh, financially and critically because the second movie was so devastatingly awful that I think it did certain. It, it hindered the franchise's future success, and nobody wanted to see it. Not to mention, 
when people think of the exorcist they think of one thing they think of a little girl getting possessed by the devil which is half true that is i know one of the criticisms of believer is oh out of all the films in the series despite the fact that you know the casual viewing public knows the exorcist based on the premise of the first film the new film coming out right now oh you know how are you going to get people in to come see a new exorcist movie Oh, we'll just soft reboot it, but instead of one girl, it's two girls! Uh, uh, uh. Whoa. What just happened? What was that? Why... Why were there balloons on my screen? What in the world? I don't know. I didn't I didn't touch anything. Two balloons! What are you doing, Ryan? Balloon. Balloon? Balloons. Happy birthday. 99 Luff Balloons. I'm not touching my computer. I don't know. I did it twice. Two balloons. Ah, ah, ah. I don't know. Um, anyway, this is going to be so weird for all the Apple Podcasts and everyone else that isn't on Stitcher, folks. Um, but... Well, I, it's your, your computer's possessed, Ryan. Yeah, I know. I, now I got to go... Uh, oh, Wait, God, Stitcher folks his, see us? What's his name? Why am I blanking on his name? Um, George C. Scott. Now I gotta go George C. Scott on this thing um, since he's in the, the third film and he's wonderful. But anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know what you'd think of the third one because I, I know for a fact that Blatty definitely takes a more novelist approach with it. The imagery in it, you know, we talked about this movie being an acid trip, fever dream, nightmare fuel. And when I mean, it's not even nightmare, nightmare fuel. It's just bad. It was, it was just, it was and daytime confusing. nap fuel. That's yeah. what it was. The third film incorporates, it has its own oddities to it that are baffling, but it's always serving the story in a way. And it's always leaning in that kind of the perverse direction that the first film had. Like, you know, the fact that in the first film, Reagan, as she's possessed, you know, starts uh, sticking a cross inside of herself. Like, it's that kind of thing that, you know, every sequel has tried to replicate that in some way and border on the sacrilege, on the sacrilegious. But the third film, I would argue, goes even further and you see things that, you know, these are the kinds of things that would make you want to challenge your belief because you're thinking, you know, why would somebody behead somebody else and then replace their head with a statue of Christ, but then paint the statue of Christ in blackface? Like, you know, things like that. Like, that's what that, those are the places where the third movie goes. Again, the imagery. The fact that, you know, there's like this one split second moment where it seems as though the demon or multiple demons, given that they are legion, pass through a church and for a weird split second they turn a statue of a priest in the church who's holding a cross. They possess the statue for like a, again, split second. The cross in his hand becomes a knife and for some reason his face becomes the Joker. It's so weird. Like the movie's got so many little oddities like that. Larry King has a cameo. It's probably the first ever Samuel the L. Shambling corpse of Larry King. <laughs> it's it's probably the first Samuel L. Jackson cameo in a movie, although he's dubbed. Fabio's in it. Oh god, the dubbing in this movie. There's this one very clear oh. scene of ADR where it's like she's not even you can very clearly see she's not moving her mouth and she's like, Where are you going? Her mouth is like stock still. <sighs> I just... It was so bad. Like you didn't even need the where are you going line there. Like we would have like had you taken it out, all the context still remained. Yeah. It's just such a poorly made film. Oh, look, it's Jack. Yeah. It's so it's weird. Jack Nicholson. It's so weird, but it's part of the charm of this movie. Like, there's so many weird, there's so many weird, creepy little things in that film. I mean, believe me, I, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on the third film. Um, and believe me, after that, I wouldn't recommend anything else. I, I will say... First film is a classic, the third film is a masterpiece. And, and this is where it really ties in with this film, because I feel like even though this film features the exact same... I don't know, would you consider Reagan the lead of the first film? She's definitely the lead, no. if not a lead, in this one. She's not the lead. The lead is the priests. Yeah. I would say. 
because she's she's definitely a, a main character. She's the antagonist, but she's not the lead. She doesn't advance the story. Mm-hmm. It's like how you it's like how someone described me, how you find out like who's the lead in a play, like who gets that last bow. It's which character advances the story the most. Right. It's not who gets like who's the funniest character, who gets the most on stage time. It's which one of you moves the story along. And she doesn't. It's the yeah. priests who move it along. After the first movie, you've killed off most of the main characters. If not, you've killed the protagonists of that film. Ellen Burstyn didn't want to come back for the second movie, but she came back for the brand new one, the for Believer. So, yeah, you get you get Linda Blair to come back. And, you know, again, it, it's, it's baffling. Like, okay, is she still kind of possessed? Is she no, what? She has, like, no signs of possession, even though that's, like, again, the idea is that it's still in her. But it also betrays the whole, like, conceit of the first movie, the whole end of the first movie, where it's like, oh, the priests won, their faith beat back the de- uh And I shouldn't even say the devil, because, you know, even though they... I know uh, when she's possessed in the first film, she says, I'm the devil. But... It's almost like she's just saying that the demon in her is just kind of saying that just to be like, oh, yeah, well, you're this. Well, I'm that. And in this one, obviously, it it comes out that it's not the devil. It's Pazuzu, which is that (laughs) it either sounds like some kind of baked good, like a Pazuki. (laughs) It either sounds like a baked good or just slang for a vagina. The evil Pazuzu. I'm possessed by Pazuzu. Yeah, Pazuzu. uh, Is a fictional character who is the main antagonist in The Exorcist, blah, blah, blah. William Peter Blatty derived the character from Assyrian and Babylonian mythology where the mythic Pazuzu was considered the king of the demons of the wind and the son of the god Hanbi. And just to see if... Well, now I was just accidentally racist. He's the body of a man, the head of a lion or dog, eagle-like talon feet, two pairs of wings, scorpion's tail, and a serpentine penis. What does that have anything to do with locusts or this movie, though? In the beginning of Exorcist 2, we have the possessed girl in... Insert Latin American country here. And you've got Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor's two-time husband. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Uh, trying to exercise her and... It's not Richard Burton. What's his name? What? What was his name? Well, that's the actor's name, but, uh, Philip Lamont. Oh, yeah, like, I was, yeah, the actor. Yeah. Um, and, and what's also cool, by the way, is that the Cardinal, that's like, you will go to Reagan and save her, blah, blah, blah. And then later, he's like... Blah, blah, blah. He's like, you're fired from the church. Or actually, no, you're laid off until further notice, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's Paul Heinrich, who, or Heinrich, Heinrich, whatever, um, who famously played the character, the, like, revolutionary adjacent, uh, what's the term, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he basically was the, the refugee from Casablanca, who was trying to, escape the Eastern Hemisphere and get Humphrey Bogart to help him escape uh, ah. the Nazis. Um, and then he shows up with his wife, who is uh, Rick Blaine's ex. They'll always have Paris. Exactly. Uh, and so, um, so it was kind of cool to see him, but regardless, uh, Lamont has, like, his own crisis of faith, I guess, where he is trying to exercise this one girl, gets scared, and then she sets herself on fire in the most, like, creepy, borderline animatronic, I'm trying to not set myself on fire in any way, but also, this is a bunch of superimposed imagery, so it's going to look horrible uh, when it's all cobbled together in the editing room. And then somehow he gets drawn to Reagan. The whole, like, premise of the movie is, like, he's, like, cobbling up people that have also been possessed by Pazuzu, and he's trying to get an answer from them of, like, okay, how did you recover? Like, is, is it still haunting you? And no one answers that question. Everyone else is just, like, you know, 
Yes, good to see you. You know, I, I am... I am Kokumo, the doctor, you know, and it's like, okay, you were possessed, but like, tell, tell me, like, how have you been since then? If you can walk on these needles. No! Like, answer my question! Like, stop it! You know, if you, uh, the emperor does not share your- No! Stop it! Answer my question! I don't want to know anything else, just tell me. You were possessed! Let me- Help me help this little girl who is clearly not 16. Like, please, you know. Um, and then speaking of which, Reagan. What is going on with her in this movie? Like, what, what, is, what is she doing? She's living in... And I, this was funny, by the way. This was the only part of the movie I thought was funny. And it wasn't even something you know from the film. The penthouse, creepy, weird penthouse thing she's living in was the old WB building in New York City, and it was whatever building with the 666 address that I think Jared Kushner later purchased and had to sell. You know, mm. bravo. Kind of cute, but, you know, for this movie, it's pointless. But hey, you know, hey, if it cuts back on the budget, who? But she's, like, tap dancing, and she's in a little show, and she still has, like, her mom's help living with her, almost like she's watching over her. And this is where the whole movie, if the movie wasn't already going off a cliff, this is where it hits the bottom and gets stuck in a crevice, like that one corpse that they find, where she's going to this, like, I don't even know what's the best way to describe it. It's like some kind of, it's a psychiatric institute. Okay, that's according to uh, the Wikipedia synopsis for it. But she's getting whatever tests that are clearly... How do I explain this? Because again, this movie is so weird. I had an easier time talking about Exorcist 3. And, and that movie, like I said, it goes places. At least it's linear, you know. And it's grounded in reality despite the subject matter. She's going to a psychiatric institute where you've got other young, young adults and children who are clearly going through real you know, either disabilities or, you know, illnesses or what have you. And, but then you've got this one girl who just clearly looks fine. Her only thing is, I don't remember being possessed by a demon, but I'll flaunt that in front of an autistic girl until the autistic girl is, like, ready to fold into herself uh, from shock, you know. Or maybe, maybe it's Pazuzu's powers that help the autistic girl learn how to speak. I don't, I mean, it, it borders on insensitive. Um, this whole movie. <laughs> well, I think there was an element of backlash with the first film. And I think it's apparent in this movie simply because, yeah, you've got the crisis of faith shtick, which they had in the first film with Father Karras. It was done way better with Father Karras. But then you also had, I don't know, there, there was just less of a shock value with that, you know, oh, that sacrilegious element. Like, you know, the cross scene, um, the, you know, your mother does this in hell. Like, th this movie had none of that. It had none of those things that would make you feel like, wow... As a believer, as a non-believer, this makes me feel unsettled and uncomfortable. This movie just didn't have any of that. If anything, it was more just an assault on the senses and abstract, borderline, bad Jollo film presentation. I don't know. But this institute, why does it look like a funhouse? With, with, like, mirrors and windows and all the wood. It's like, what is this, a 1970s TARDIS? Like, what What are we, what the hell's going on? Uh, and then Lamont, with all of his struggles with, like, oh, how do we help Reagan? Oh, I can see into her. With her and, demon form. <laughs> and on top of that, when you do see possessed Reagan, that's not even Linda Blair. She was like, I'm not going to put the makeup back on. No, I, I did that once. I'm not doing it again. So they had to get somebody else in that looked nothing like her and put the makeup on her so she can be all, ah, yes, Father Marin, you know. You know, dragging Max von Sydow back into this movie after they've already killed him. It was cool to see him without the old guy makeup, though. 
with the flashbacks with Kakuma where he's, you know, oh, get out of his body, you know, like, it was nice seeing that, but, and then the whole, there was the whole plot point that, like, never gets resolved. Paul Heinrich, the Cardinal, informs Lamont that Marin is facing posthumous heresy charges because of his controversial writings as church authorities are trying to modernize and do not want to acknowledge that Satan exists. I mean, by the end of the movie... Isn't the whole movie called Heretic because of that? Really? I know. Who's the heretic in this, though, is my question. I don't get it. Yeah, it sounds cool and re religious-y, but okay, who's the heretic? Maybe it's Lamont? Reagan's not religious. Um, maybe it's hinting at Father Marin, but it's like, how is he the heretic? Last I checked, he kind of helped save the day in the last movie, or at least he tried. Um, but by the end of this movie, you know, you're 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 trying to understand. And I also remember I had a point about tubular bells in the third film that I will get back to. Um, and actually, can spin off from what I'm about to say. The fact that by the end of this movie, you have the, you know, it does the Dr. Sleep thing of, we have to go back to where it all happened. And so they go back to Georgetown. They go back to the same bedroom where they got the demon out of Reagan, where Marin died and where Karis hops out the window and falls down the steps to his death. But see, that's the thing. The whole idea that this demon is out of Reagan and the fact that it's somehow back, or is it, it doesn't check out given the fact that at the end of the first movie, Father Karras grabs, after Marin dies, Karras walks up, walks up to Reagan and he's like grabbing her and he's like throwing her around and he's like, take me, take me. You know, because this demon's already been teasing him and being like, oh, well, you can join your dead mother and you can see her again and whatever. And then finally, he he gets to that point where he's like, no, get into me. And the demon does. It leaves Reagan. And there's like a split second where, you know, Karis has the, the Sith Lord eyes. And then he shakes out of it and screams, no hops out the window and kills himself to not only kill him, but also, you know, purge the demon for whatever. And of course, by the third, well, I don't know if I want to give anything away about the third movie that involves Karis. Let's just say Karis is very important to the, he's the third. I'll get to the third movie later. Um, cause this whole, believe me, I could just talk about the third movie and be like, Matt, it's such a better movie, but yeah, they destroy the house. None of the neighbors see it. And also nurse ratchet runs around going, help, help, because the babysitter, what was that about? The babysitter becomes suicidal all of a sudden. There's, no, I don't, I don't even homicidal. Like, she never like she, apparently she like gives into the evil, but there's never any hint of that anywhere. It's just like, at, like at a left field and i get it like if i was evil i wouldn't let anyone know until i needed to but all she did was like burn herself alive how was besides the the catholic concept or maybe not so much anymore i think it's been revised in the official dogma but the old catholic idea that suicide was evil aside from that like what are you really doing besides preventing her from going upstairs yeah I mean, if she really wanted, she'd just, like, walk around your burning corpse. Also, poor taxi driver who died. Yeah, I know, he that guy, wrong. he didn't do anything. And, again, it also seems counterproductive if, uh, what's her name, Sharon and um, the girl in Latin America in the beginning, they're possessed, and so they set themselves on fire as, like, I guess a means for the demon to win, but at the same time... Does that mean the demon kills themselves, or can they just like float away and possess somebody else? Like obviously it's it's dumb movie fiction and you know movie fantasy, but it's also like hey, make some sense. And honestly, that is something that the third movie kind of tackles, where somebody that the person that is possessed, um, and this time possessed 
by multiple demons, says, you know, I, I recall an incident involving a girl uh, being possessed and Father Karras exercised her. Parties weren't pleased that they exited her body. I don't know. I mean, there there is kind of a, a rationale. Whereas in this movie, it's it's like, okay, but the demons... And then they destroy the house, and then nobody notices until Lamont is like, oh, I'll take Reagan away. And they go off together. I would not trust her with that man. With that, No, that man with her. No, I would not trust her with that man. Yeah. yeah. I would not entrust her to that man. Why are they going off together to go anywhere? Well, they're going to find a hotel. And so that's another issue, and I will get to the Exodus 3 point, but from what I understand with Believer, it, they're doing the same thing that they did with the 2018 Halloween, the same thing they did with Terminator Dark Fate. Okay, 2018 um, Halloween was good, though. Well what, well, what I mean is is that they're bypassing any other of the past sequels and saying this is the true second or in the case of Terminator, it's this just is a the retcon. true third film. So it's it's just a retcon. Yeah, because I, I highly doubt Believer is going to explain, like, oh, Reagan, did you get back to your mom? Where's Father Lamont? Obviously, Richard Burton's dead. Um, Not to mention, why would anybody touch this movie? It's considered one of the worst films ever made. It's up there with Batman and Robin in the room. That's not just me saying it. Fateful Findings by Neil Breen. <laughs> oh, no. You have this... Just goofy ending. And then by the end of it, you get the flashing light in front of Louise Fletcher, and you're like, wait, is she possessed? And then the screen turns white, and then you get black credits over the white screen, which is, you know, kind of weird. It just doesn't normally happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of looking over this again. Lamont manages to kill the doppelganger by beating open its chest and pulling out its heart. I also like to know where that doppelganger of, Re of Reagan went to. He pulls the heart out, the body topples by Reagan, and then it's just, it just you just never see it again. And you're like, Wait, what? Lamont comes back for it later. Uh, I, I get it. It's a movie. It's not meant to make sense necessarily. It also doesn't help that at the start of the third movie, you know, I mentioned earlier how the studio was like, we need to remind people that this is a sequel to The Exorcist. Well, what they do is they start, uh, Exorcist 3 Legion, you're already getting a taste of, like, creepy imagery, and I believe it starts off with a visual of the stairs, and kind of, they got this, like, mist machine that they play the film backwards, so the mist recedes, um, or the fog machine, and the fog recedes, and it looks awesome. They play tubular bells, and then after playing enough of tubular bells for however many seconds, it's then overshadowed by this loud, excuse me, this loud droning sound. This like foreboding, animalistic kind of humming. And in a lot of ways, that is, in most part, the soundtrack to the movie or the score of the rest of that movie. It's not trying to placate. It's not trying to give you something sappy like this movie does. It's meant to be haunting. It's meant to be atmospheric. And you do see the, the McNeil house in Georgetown. And it's not destroyed. It's not leveled. It's still there. Like nothing happened or nothing changed. And the movie picks up with the same detective and the same other priest that survived and their pals. And they watch movies together. It's wonderful. One of the movies they watch is A Wonderful Life. So, and, and they're lovely to get. Oh, I, it, it's like grumpy old men, except one's a cop and one's a priest. I mean, it's wonderful. And then things go crazy, and you're like, ooh, okay, tell me more, you know. And yeah, there's an exorcism by the end, but eh, I don't know. Th this movie, I, you know, I, I could... there even technically an exorcism in this one? If you exclude the flashbacks of the first movie, if you exclude the one in the very beginning that pretty much fails, and if you exclude uh, Kokumo's exorcism, the movie doesn't end with an exorcism. There's no rites, there's no anything. So you're, you're kind of... Whereas at the end of the third movie, you know, kind of spoilers, there is a priest character that just... 
they just kind of threw him in there. He's not really like he's not really a character per se. He's just kind of there to be like the token Catholic in that film. Um, he's also got a great voice because by the end of it, he actually starts sounding like Palpatine. He's like, you know, you wretched filth, leave this body now. Like, it's it's kind of cool, but it's also weird because the guy is very young and he's got, like, bleach blonde hair. People know I could go on forever about a lot of movies, including a lot of bad movies. This is one that, like, I'm still trying to comprehend what I saw. And I know I can't because there is nothing to really hold on to. Like... The fact that at one point Burton, Richard Burton looks straight into the camera and says what I said earlier, it was horrible, utterly horrible. Like, that's evergreen in my head when I think of this movie, because that's what this movie is. It's utterly horrible. I can't recommend it. Listeners, don't watch it. <laughs> and yet you made me watch it. It's it's content, baby. <laughs> and hey, you owe me for this one. Think of it. That's fine. Hey, I said I'd watch Steel, so you know. I, that even was it's not on Max right suggestions. now. The what? That was another one of your suggestions. This is true. This is true. Well, hey, you know what? We still got we still got some open spots this season, so I I accept any and all ideas. And we'll plan accordingly. I am a glutton for punishment. But think of it this way, too. This movie, and I know they made two different versions of a prequel. Like, they tried to go back and make an Exorcist prequel. And they made one version of the film. The studio didn't like it, so they said, Hey, let's remake this and, like, fix it before we release it. They released the movie. The movie bombed. And then the studio went back to the filmmakers and said, oh, hey, could you, like, go back and maybe, like, make the same movie you were trying to make from the beginning? And we'll, make, we'll release that? And that movie did, like, barely better. Like, maybe, like, a slightly... It was, it was like, a, a smidge better. I haven't seen... I've seen bits and pieces of one of those versions. Um, I know there's... What is it? One's called Dominion prequel to the exorcist and the other one is like exorcist six in space or something uh it isn't um here we go uh exorcist the beginning and then dominion prequel to the exorcist it sounds like a less successful uh evil dead and evil dead 2 scenario yeah evil dead 2 is literally just evil dead 1 mm -hmm. it's true just like uh Force Awakens is literally just a new hope over again. But from what I have seen of the two films, they are different enough, but they still look bad because, like, the CGI, they, they rely too much on CG, and the CG looks atrocious by 2004 and 2005 standards. Um, and again, whereas Exorcist 3, the other thing that helps that movie for me is that it's very practical. You know, there's nothing, for the most part, there are no major effects in that film that make you, that take you out of the film. So, um, yeah, if anything, listeners, go watch The Exorcist, and if you're feeling, if you're feeling, uh, if you're feeling kind of fine and you're ready to find something in the same vein... If you got Amazon Prime Video, or if you can find it, it usually it's for free on, on certain streaming services that you can watch for free. But if you can, I, I would recommend The Exorcist 3. It's genuinely a great movie, and it's, it's almost like if you could combine Silence of the Lambs with The Exorcist, there you go. I don't honestly I thought about seeing Believer and you at one point kind of convinced me but I'm less sure now um knowing knowing things about it and also like the whole oh the patriarchy prevented me from seeing my daughter and it's like you were desperate and you went to something you didn't believe in and guess what it saved the day I'm not, I wish I was making that up but I guess that's a, that is a real thing Damn the patriarchy. Ugh.
And it's like, uh, these guys sacrificed themselves to save your daughter, you're welcome? <laughs> like, what? By the way, you can't get both actors for this new new film. They're both gone, so... Oh, Ryan, don't tempt them. Do you remember Peter Cushing? Oh! God, yeah. Don't tempt Hollywood. Hmm. And it doesn't help that the guy directing did the Halloween movies and thought the whole Evil Dies Tonight thing was a good idea. And Jamie Lee Curtis was like, oh, it's like Black Lives Matter. And you're like, huh? What? Anyway. Uh, I think we've tortured ourselves long enough. Uh, I think we've exercised our demons. Uh. <laughs> uh. I have nothing left to say other than don't watch this movie. Uh, watch the first film, watch the third film, and enjoy the rest of your spooktacular uh, month of October. Matt, any final thoughts before I ramble into nonsense? Don't trust Ryan's film recommendations. Ouch. Ouch. Mars on Life is a podcast co-hosted by Sebastian Shug, Ryan Mancini, Andrew Martinez, and Matt Fernandez. If you like this episode, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite shows, as Mars on Life is available on Anchor, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Audible, Spotify, and Podchaser. Find us on Instagram at Mars on Life Show to keep up with the latest news episodes, and gratuitous updates on the Red Planet. Have a question, comment, or request? Email us at marsonlife at gmail.com, and we'll promptly get back to you. This show's artwork, titled Happy Mars, was drawn by Zachary Urbrick. Our show's regular intro and outro music is Space Explorers, by the one and only Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening, and always remember, if you keep going, you'll make it to Mars.